Hey everybody, and welcome to Southern Fried Pop Culture. I'm one of your hosts, Mandy Kay. And I'm Kelly Lee. Each week we're going to talk about our experiences of Southern culture through the lens of stories that are set in the South, feature Southern characters, or are Southern flavored in some way. And we're going to do it while we drink Southern drinks. So my drink tonight is, once again, vodka lemonade, because when you find something you like, you stick to it. (laughs) (laughs) So what are you drinking, Kelly? I am sipping whiskey and ginger ale, because there is no way I can talk about this movie without whiskey. I think that's fair. (laughs) (laughs) On this show, our structure comes from our amazing theme song, written by our friend Jazzy Bentley, We'll talk about the movie in three different sections, Southern culture in general, the bless your heart or problematic moments, and the things we loved that made us tickle pink. So this week, we are talking about Where the Heart Is, a romantic drama from 2000 starring Natalie Portman, Ashley Judd, James Frain, and Stockard Channing. This movie's description says, Novali Nation is a pregnant 17-year-old from Tennessee heading to California with her boyfriend, Willie Jack, but is abandoned by him at a Walmart store in Sequoia, Oklahoma. And that's pretty much all the description that they give us for this movie, which I thought was kind of funny. (laughs) This movie is based on the novel, Where the Heart Is, by Billy Lutz. I did learn something interesting about this, though. Um, So this was Billy Lutz's debut novel. And it was picked up as an Oprah book club choice in 1998. But what I did not know about Billy Lutz is that she was uh, what's considered a late-in-life author. So she did not start publishing until after she was 40, and she might have actually been older than that. Okay. So I just thought it was interesting. Well, this movie is a little bit different than the movies we've been doing. Uh, When I watched it, I didn't take very many notes of things that fit into our three-section structure, There were things, of course, that were problematic or tickled me pink, but by and large, I found this movie to be a realistic representation of life in the South. The story and plot were largely romanticized, and Kelly will speak more in depth on that, but the way Southern culture was portrayed was pretty spot on. I couldn't find much within the framework to comment on. So while we'll still use our three-section framework, We are mostly going to be focusing on the narrative of the story and how it relates to us personally, rather than how Southern culture specifically is portrayed. Yes. So do you want to start us off with that, though, with some of the specifics of Southern culture, like your experience of that and how you saw it represented in this movie? It's honestly, I only pulled out one or two very, very specific things because Mm -hmm. watching it just felt natural to me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) If that's, you know, makes sense at all. I don't know. Um, and and I, I've been reaching out to people on Twitter and Facebook today to find out if this is actually just a Southern thing or if this is a thing that everybody did. And I'm getting split answers. So um, when Willie Jack and Novalee stop at Walmart because she needs shoes um, because her shoes fell out of the hole in the floorboard of the crappy car while they were driving <laughs> – Um, she tells him that she needs money to buy house shoes. And I haven't really heard the phrase house shoes in a really long time, but that's what I'm accustomed to my mom, my granny, my grandma calling slippers. Mm -hmm. Like we don't use the word slippers. We use the words house shoes. 
And so I didn't know if that's just a Southern thing or if that's like a generational thing that it's something my grandparents did and that's why I'm familiar with it. And I'm not really sure on that, but it did sound very, very familiar. And when I heard her say it, I thought, oh, yeah, that's what they always used to call them. Yeah, I think the older people in my family would have called them house shoes and I would call them slippers. Okay. Yeah. But if someone called them house shoes, I would know exactly what they were talking about. I don't wear them, so I don't call them anything. (laughs) I did not used to wear them until I moved to Missouri where it gets freaking cold. And (laughs) now in the winter, I have slippers because it's cold. (laughs) So when I think of slippers, I think of like specific character slippers, like rabbit slippers or uh, somebody bought me canine slippers from Dr. Who. And, you and have those are slippers. slippers from Doctor Who. Oh, that yes. is adorable. I love it. Um, yeah. Cute. So I mean, those are slippers to me, and the shoes that you just put on to cover your feet to keep them warm when you're in the house. Mm-hmm. It would never occur to me to call those slippers, which oh. is weird. And huh. maybe that just means I'm oddly southern. <laughs> I don't know. And the other thing that was very, very, very specific, I mean, to the word, was they showed a scene of Novalee's sister and sister's friend uh, having dinner or about to eat breakfast or something, and they all held hands, and they said a prayer before they ate their food. Mm-hmm. And the prayer that she said specifically was, I pray that you will bless this food for the nourishment of our bodies. And I had, like, flashbacks when I heard that. Because growing up, all the way until some life changes happened for me when I was in my 20s, before every single meal, we would pray, Dear Lord, thank you for this food. I pray that you will bless this food for the nourishment of our bodies. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Mm -hmm. Word for word, exactly what she said. And I don't think I realized that was something that other people said word for word. I have heard it, it kind word of for word. Th- yep. Threw have, me off a little bit. <laughs> a grandmother and a great aunt and a great uncle um, who have uh, over family get togethers and Thanksgiving dinners and Christmas meals. This was a traditional, I've heard it word for word too. It felt like home when I heard it in the movie. Yeah, it was like I was sitting at my grandma's table eating dinner <laughs> yep. every, every meal. So yeah, those those are the two like super specific things that stuck out to me other than just living life mm-hmm. and shopping at the Walmart, you know? I mean, <laughs> it's what you do. So I, I think I'm going to hand the reins over to you because you have a very specific perspective on this movie that I think is way more interesting than anything that uh. I have to say about it. I don't know and so if let's... it's interesting or if it's just ridiculous, but full disclosure, I did not realize this when we picked this movie. So, like, when remember when we were making the list of the movies that we were going to include in this show, I we said, Where the Heart Is. I was like, yeah, I love that movie. It's a great movie. I haven't seen it in a while. It'll be fun to watch it again. And then I watched it. And then I messaged you and said, Mandy, I'm going to need a few more days. <laughs> like, <laughs> basically, I had an emotional breakdown <laughs> watching this movie. And and you were like, Kelly, you're okay. It's just a movie. And I thought, oh, my God. Like, I knew this movie 
was like I knew it resonated with me, you know, and I knew that there was a lot of personal connections to it, but I had no idea like what a real personal revelation this movie was for me until I went back and tried to watch it with this lens that we have. And what I've realized is that for me, Where the Heart Is, is a true Southern style fairy tale. And it's one that hits very, very close to home. So watching this movie is like ultimate wish fulfillment for me. And this fairy tale, aha, hit me like a ton of bricks or like a truck hauling bricks. (laughs) And so like now I understand why I cry like ridiculous amounts every time I watch this. Because I was a young single mother, and I was abandoned by my son's father. Not at a Walmart, but I was actually abandoned by him once while I was pregnant at a gas station. Although he did come back and get me. (laughs) Um, But he played guitar, and he reminds me way too much of Willie Jack. Um, And before my son was born, I was studying to be a photographer, and I had started shooting weddings. And I love photography the way that Novali does. And I've actually said the exact line that she says about, I spent more on film than I got paid. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> that was my experience of shooting, like, small town weddings or small events. Um, and the big storm that we see in this movie, um, in my hometown, we have a traditional Mother's Day hurricane, like every year, a Mother's Day tornado, like a big storm that happens about that same time of year. Mm-hmm. And we see her climb out of the cellar to like face it head on and to look at it. And I have always wanted to do that. And I've actually always wanted to do it with my camera in my hand. It's just like this amazing connection to her and to being drawn to the same things that she was drawn to. Um, but I never found an amazing, magical town of people like the characters in this movie. And I sure as hell never found my soulmate in a library. And I have no idea what it would be like to have a man in my life who loves me and my child the way that Forney loves Novalee and Americas. But really, I don't think I could have imagined or written a more authentic Southern fairy tale than this movie. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I agree with you 100%. The, I think that's why, from my perspective, the Southern piece of it is so authentic because they are showing Southern life in a Southern town. It's just magical. Mm-hmm. And everybody lives happily ever after. And unfortunately, that doesn't generally happen in real life. Right. Well, and it's and funny we want because it to. It's, it's set in Oklahoma, which I would not have thought to be Southern, you know, but I, with her being from Tennessee, I don't know if it's her Southern character that, but it, the whole thing feels Southern to me. Like if, if it didn't mm-hmm. say the name of the town, I would have assumed it was a Southern city. Yeah. I didn't realize it was Oklahoma until almost at the end of the movie um, mm-hmm. when... Oh, I don't even remember when. Oh, it was when she was accepting the award. Yeah. Uh, for the for the tornado or the uh, the aftermath of the tornado when they were introducing her, they said she was from Sequoia, Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. I think that's the first time they said Oklahoma in the movie. And I didn't realize that it was Oklahoma. And so in that moment I was like, "Huh. Okay. Yeah. Right? Um because exactly, I it feels more like Tennessee than Oklahoma and that may just be the magic that Novalee has around her. 
That's what I thought too. So I was like, nope, Southern fairy tale. She's a Southern princess. This is, <laughs> she gets her Southern fairy godmother. This is a whole Southern <laughs> fairy tale. And I have no idea why it's set in Oklahoma and not somewhere in the South, but it feels Southern to me. So it's just yeah. headcanon. I'm rewriting it to be a Southern okay. town. <laughs> yeah. So I, it's funny. Um, you know, when we started the show, we started with Steel Magnolias and Shelby was my Southern princess, mm-hmm. you know, and she was the one that I wanted to be like. And I think it's interesting that we have a movie now that does that for you. Yeah, and I don't think it's a path that I I would I wouldn't watch this movie and say, oh yes, I want to be like Novalee. Like it's a hard path to choose, mm-hmm. but but watching it, like it it would be you know ultimate wish fulfillment for me. And like if if you go on great literary loves, <laughs> you know, like great literary <laughs> crushes, I've had mm-hmm. two in my life. So one would be Calvin O'Keefe from A Wrinkle in Time. Who was probably okay. like my ultimate childhood crush. Like this was the ultimate definition of love for me when I was little. Okay. And then Forney Hall in this movie. Like this is, I, I cannot imagine a, a better representation of, of what love looks like than what we see in this movie between the two of them. And it just melts my romantic heart to a ridiculous level. And I know it's ridiculous and I don't care. I will stand by it. (laughs) Forney, the grumpy librarian. Now, he's not even the librarian. But Forney, the grumpy guy in the library, is my Prince Charming. (laughs) Okay, I think that's semantics. He is the librarian. I mean, he really is. He's doing all of the work of the librarian just because of his sister. And I don't care if he finished college or not. He knows how to run that library. Exactly. Yeah. My French Charming, grumpy as he can be, and I love him. (laughs) All right. Before we get too gushy about the fairy tale, um, why don't we go through some of the more problematic aspects um, and that made you want to say, bless your heart? Okay. So there were a few differences between the movie and the book that I don't really understand why they changed. So in the book, the problematic number for Novalee is seven, not five. So Novalee was 17, she was seven months pregnant, and she got $7.77 and change at the Walmart at the beginning of the story. But in the movie, they made it the number five. Mm -hmm. So it just felt like an arbitrary change, and I don't understand why they did it. Um, Yeah, I don't see a reason for that. Yeah, and it just kind of, I was like, why would you change that? And then a small change, but sister's hair is supposed to be blue, and I wanted to see Stalker Channing with blue hair. (laughs) Yeah, but it's Stalker Channing, so I I can never look that. Right, I know, any Stalker Channing is good. Um, But in the book, Lexi is overweight and always tries different diets. And then in the movie, they cast that character with Ashley Judd. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry, but surely we have some fabulously talented, curvy women who could have played that role the way that it was written. And that would have made me happier. Yes, but this was 2000. And diversity was even worse in Hollywood in 2000 than it is now. So I don't give them a pass on that, but it was 2000. Yeah. And Ashley Judd is a really good actress. And, and she, she is. And I like she does, her. She does the part really well. She does. And I do like her in this role. And if I hadn't read the book, it wouldn't have bothered me. Because I do like her 
in as you know in this role yeah so and then of course speaking of Lexi I do have to say it doesn't quite match like in terms of her medical training I mean she works in the labor and delivery ward of a hospital and yet she seems to possess no knowledge of the human reproductive system and she doesn't (laughs) understand basic birth control you know she doesn't realize that if a man tells you he can't get you pregnant because he had the mumps, like she's too strong and confident in other areas of her life to keep falling for the same sort of thing. And to keep getting pregnant over and over and over again is not a joke. And like I, that part of her characterization bothered me. Um, that would be a bless your heart. Like really like that. It just doesn't match that lack of knowledge giving where she works makes no sense to me. Yeah. I, I don't think they played the pregnancies as a joke, really, because she loved her kids and she took care of her kids and she was able to take care of her kids. But the the lack of knowledge, I think, was where the, the jokes were played. Yeah. And then, of course, I can't have a bless your heart section without talking about Willie Jack. <laughs> Oh, no, of course and not. He's I'm gonna, the worst. I'm going to try to respect the explicit rating on this podcast and keep it PG-13. <laughs> but <laughs> well, I was, like, very happy to see him get arrested with the 14-year-old Jolene. Um, it also really twisted me up because there are just too many men like that in the world. And where did he get a guitar in jail? I mean, come on. Really? Like, where did he get a guitar? So, he said he bought it from somebody, didn't he? Yeah, like in prison, really? So <laughs> we have, you know, Willie Jack Pickens. And so, okay, he writes his pretty song, and he can sing and play the guitar, but he's a sorry-ass bastard. He left his pregnant girlfriend at the Walmart, and he never goes back to try to find her, even though he had to see her on the news, too. So, you know, F him and his song. And I think that they try to bring up some amount of empathy for him later because you know he gets incredibly drunk and tries to dance with a train and gets hit and loses both of his legs and it's supposed to be this thing and that empathy is completely and totally wasted on me I am cheering for the train all the way oh absolutely (laughs) I'm right there with you I have to tell you I forgot that that song came from this movie and when I heard it it sent me on this like flood of emotions back to high school my (laughs) senior year in high school (laughs) And I love this song, Mm -hmm. but I love the actual version that they released in real life, Mm -hmm. not the version of Willie Jack singing it in the movie. And every time he sang it and we had to watch his smarmy, sweaty, greasy face, I just wanted to punch something. Like he ruined the song. And I totally understand why Novali turned the radio off when when his voice was singing it because it, it just it ruined it. It's a great song. That's that scene was really creepy when Sister and Americus were in the kitchen singing along to that on the mm-hmm. radio, not knowing it was him, you know, and nobody yeah. came in and turned that song off because she like she knew on some level or she knew that something about that song creeped her out. Um mm-hmm. that absolutely creeps me out too when I saw it. It's like, oh God, turn that turn that radio off, child, turn yeah. that radio off. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, he played the role really well in terms of coming across as the kind of, you know, man that he was trying to portray. Um, But unfortunately, in my experience with Southern culture, that kind of guy is just too real. 
Um, and there's too many of them. So, oh, absolutely. You know, and then I love the fact that Forney like delivers the baby and saves Novalee, but she goes into labor in the middle of a storm in the middle of Walmart. And he just happens to be walking by outside and somehow sees, like, through the glass, through the store, down the aisles. I've never been able to quite figure out how that worked. So that was in the problematic question for me. <laughs> yeah, I, I was wondering about that. I don't think he saw her. I think he heard her because she was screaming so loud. But, it, I mean, through that storm in the middle of a giant Walmart Right, like that I could not suspend my disbelief enough. Yeah, to I had a, I had a bit. hard time letting my disbelief fall quite the, even for Forney. Like, really? Yeah, I, I don't know how they quite pulled that off. And then the folks from Midnight Mississippi just completely freaked me out. And we don't know exactly what happens to them. So you know they're threatening Novalee. They're kind of stalking her. They're sending her letters, and then they show up in town and they steal the baby and they leave the baby in the manger, which I don't know what their plan is. Like, are they just hoping this baby's going to starve to death or freeze to death? I don't know. We don't know exactly how they're prosecuted or what happens to them. And so that always sort of felt like a loose end. Um, And they were so creepy and so, that was so disturbing for me. Um, And I have had people come up to me and tell me that they were concerned for the state of my child's soul or that I was going to hell for having a kid out of wedlock and like, that was creepy Ugh. enough to feel very real. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to know, like, I wanted that to be more wrapped up. And it didn't feel like it was. Did they even catch them? Yeah, they caught them. The police said that okay. they caught them. And that's how they okay. knew where to find the baby. Because they confessed. Oh, but okay. we gotcha. we never knew, like, what happened after that. So it just felt, yeah, like, yeah. A, it felt like a loose end. Yeah. And then... The scene where Lexi's children are attacked and molested by one of her boyfriends is too much for me. Like, even though it happens off screen, um, the movie's kind of going on this great pace. And then there's that phone call from Brownie and the movie takes this dark turn. And it's so hard to watch. And that part of the book was worse. And, like, I literally was haunted, I think, by that part of the book for probably a year. Like, I've never been able to go back and reread the book because I cannot read that chapter again. Mm-hmm. And it's so hard to watch it. Now, I, and I yeah. don't really think it's problematic. I think it's very well acted. Um, and I think handling that part off screen was, was well done. It's just for me, I, it, I, I just can't. It's too much. It's too hard. Yeah. And then my last bless your heart, and I will, like, I will die on the hill for this one. <laughs> <laughs> I hate the Walmart wedding. Like, Novalee and Forney do not get married in a Walmart. That is ridiculous. They should have gotten married in a library or at her house or on the back of a pickup truck or anywhere but a damn Walmart. Like, that is cliche and cheesy to the nth degree, and I hate it. Okay, but Novalee named her daughter Americus. I don't care. They should not get but married in a Walmart. But this is entirely in character for Novalee. That's all I'm saying. This is who she is. I hate it much like <laughs> that. I mean, it's fair. Everybody has their own opinions and yes. are entitled to their own opinions. And I mean, I, I agree it's stupid because it's a Walmart wedding, but I find it to be entirely 100% in character for Nivoli. 
and Forney would do anything for her. So it, it didn't surprise me and it made me smile. <laughs> now, what about you? Are there any additional bless your heart or problematic sections? Well, I've, so one of the things that I want to talk about somewhere <laughs> in this episode, and I'm having a hard time figuring out where to put it, um, it, it has to do with that scene with Lexi's kids when, when they're attacked. Mm -hmm. And I put it in the tickled pink section because of the performance by Ashley Judd and by Novalee's answer Mm -hmm. to her, but it feels really wrong to put that in a section of things that I loved about the movie because it is about the abuse of children. And so I guess I'll talk about it now, um, even though I think it's not problematic because it's realistic when when Ashley Judd uh, or Lexi is talking to Novalee about what actually happened. And she turns around and she looks at Novalee and she said, how did he find me, Novalee? How did he know he could do that to us? And that's the bit that makes me teary-eyed mm-hmm. because – that's what happens. You know, men are predators, not all men. There are men like this man who are predators and who look for women who they believe to be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And to see this character able to express it so clearly really touched me Mm -hmm. and also made me cry. But then as that scene goes on, you know, she looks at Novalee and she says, what am I going to tell my kids about why this happened to them? And Novalee's answer to that, I think, is the perfect answer. She said, you tell them that our, our lives can change with every breath we take. We both know that. And you tell them to let go of what's gone. Because men like Roger Briscoe never win. And tell them to hold on like hell to what they've got. Each other. And a mother who would die for them and almost did. You tell them we've all got meanness in us. But we've got good in us too. And the only thing worth living for is the good. And that is why we've got to make sure to pass it on. And there just isn't a better response to that situation. No, it was a beautiful answer. And I, and I think it, it really shows some of the grace and strength in Novali. And it, it sort of leads to one of my questions that I had. And I didn't know what section to put this question in because it doesn't really fit anywhere. But I was curious about how a girl who has never been loved well, right? Novalee was abandoned by her mother, obviously did not have a lot of strong relationships. Then she was abandoned by Willie Jack. Despite all of that, she somehow held on to like a real sense of self. She has this, she has this grace. She has this strength about her and she never lets it go you know even when she's Mm -hmm. sitting in front of the hospital in that wheelchair with the baby in her arms having no idea where she's going 
realizing that her mother has abandoned her, she, she doesn't lose it then. You know, she just has this sort of contained grace and strength. And I, I kept wondering watching the movie, like, how does that happen? How does she hold on to that? And you hear it when she answers Lexi, you know? Mm-hmm. And I don't know the answer to that. I was just curious if you have any thoughts on how she did that, you know, how she managed to hold on to that part of herself despite everything she'd been through. Because the only answer I have is that she's a fairy tale princess. And I don't think that that's a very <laughs> critical <laughs> or reflective or insightful answer. <laughs> well, Okay, that's my first instinct, too, is to say, I mean, I've already said that Novalee is magical, that she has a magic about her. And that comes from that Southern fairy tale that you were talking about. And so I I definitely do think that that's a piece of it. But Novalee is a person who yearns for knowledge. Mm -hmm. And she reads a lot. She doesn't know something. She goes and looks it up. And I think that her experiences in the world of books may be where she gets that from because she sees something that she wants. And so she gives forth what she wants back. And that's total speculation because we really don't have any textual evidence for that. But that's really the only thing that I can think of Mm -hmm. that would be why she could be as wonderful as she is. One of my notes um, was just about how polite Novalee is. She always puts herself last. Mm-hmm. After her water broke in the middle of Walmart, she went and got paper towels and she cleaned it up yeah. while she's in labor. You know, she kept a notebook of everything that she took from the store so that she could pay Walmart back mm-hmm. when she got on her feet. You know, it never even occurred to her that she wasn't going to be able to pay them back one day. Right. And I think that she just somehow inherently has this internal strength that we all wish we had. I put that in my notes too, like her conscientiousness, um, her faith in herself, like keeping track of every dollar she owes them, putting things away so carefully, carrying that little Buckeye tree with her everywhere she goes, even though she doesn't Mm -hmm. even have a home herself. There was just so much heart to her. And, you know, she had that vision from the very beginning. You know, this is a girl who, wants a camera and she wants a house under her that doesn't roll and she wants a little umbrella in the front with chocolate milk like she she has a vision of that for herself and it comes from within her and I just wonder how you nurture that when you really haven't been given a lot of reason to so that I think when I started wondering that I was like it has to be some kind of magic because I don't know how you do that in the real world, you know? <laughs> yeah. I think I think it takes a special kind of person to mm-hmm. do it. And I think there are people like that in the world who can. But it is rare. Yeah, I think so too. But I did love that about her. And I genuinely loved her character and her, um, Natalie Portman's, you know, depiction of that character. Because mm-hmm. she she came across a little naive, but not not to the point that it was you know, so naive that it took away from her story, but she always had this, you know, strength and grace and honesty about her, you know, that you just wanted to root for her. And I think that she was, you know, beautifully brought to life on the screen. And I I really think that she was fantastic. 
and so sweet. Like, you know, there yes. was just a, a kindness to her. And maybe that's how fairy tales are determined. Like, if they get passed out like that. Because that may be why I didn't get one. Because I don't have that in me. <laughs> I, don't, oh. I don't have that sweetness. And, um, but, but I did really enjoy watching the, the way that that character was, you know, was brought. She's so careful with things. You know, with the way that she handles everything from every photographic print that she picks up, you know, to the way that she designs her house. Like, she's she's thoughtful and she's careful and um, she's careful with people and she's careful with the people that are in her life. And I just really admire that. I think that she had a strong character. And I think it was it was very strongly portrayed in the movie. Yes. I think... The beginning of the movie wasn't super great, like the first five minutes or so. Mm-hmm. I, I think I called it kitschy in, in my notes um, just because they, they leaned in so heavily to her her youngness and her idealism. Mm-hmm. And it's clear that Willie Jack is not somebody that she should be with. And and they over leaned into it a little bit, I think, to kind of show that, that arc for her. Um, but once we got past that, once once Willie Jack left her and Nova Lee was on her own, mm-hmm. then from that point on, she was, wow, in my head, I was just about to say, she was beauty. She was grace. <laughs> <laughs> That's where my brain went with that. Okay. No. Well, I mean, there is the, the, the line from the poem, she walks in beauty, which yeah. I feel, you know, she really does. She does, and but she does it from the moment she has to stand on her own two feet. Right. And so it was from that moment forward that I really loved the movie. And when she was with Willie Jack at the beginning, I could have honestly done without that or done with it being scaled back a little bit mm-hmm. because I felt like it did a little bit of a disservice to her character. Well, And she may not truly have known herself that much yet because she was so overshadowed by him, and he was That's so... True disdainful of her you know and Mm -hmm. and so mistreatful of her that she was really better off in an empty store than she was with him so (laughs) all right we are definitely moving into the realm of gushing yes so (laughs) (laughs) let's jump into the tickled pink section and kelly why don't you tell us all of the other things besides novali and her character that you loved about this movie there's so many um, I love the photographer, Moses. Mm-hmm. Um, I love his love for his work and the care that he shows Novali when he tells her to give that baby a name that means something. I thought that was a great line. Uh, later, he gives her a camera as a baby gift, and he teaches her and encourages her always. And I just love that sort of mentor relationship for her. I will say, though, I don't think I have ever seen a photographer just set up in the middle of Walmart like that. Oh, like a portrait photographer? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I vaguely remember that Walmart used to have, like, its own portrait studio where you could go and get family portraits taken. But it was always, like, a separate thing and not just in the middle of the store in one of the aisles. Oh, I I guess I just kind of thought, well, that was their version of Ola Mills, the way that Ola Mills used to be in Kmart. And yeah, okay. He was just kind of walking around. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Maybe Walmarts are different in Oklahoma than they were here. <laughs> yeah, maybe so. <laughs> um, and then, of course, sister, sister-husband, who was 
had such, you know, fierce kindness in her, and she was so wonderful. Um, pretty much any character that Stalker Channing ever plays, I'm going to love, but I loved Sister, and the way that she invites Novalee to come and live with her is so good. And her relationship with Mr. Sprock was amazing. And their prayer was probably my favorite line in the whole, whole movie. Lord, we pray that you will bless this food for the nourishment of our bodies. And we ask forgiveness, Lord, for the fornication that Mr. Sprock and me committed this morning on this very table. Amen. Amen. Like, I will laugh every time I watch this movie. They were so... Oh, because it's so serious, it's too. So ser- they're so serious about it. and um, But they have such love between them, and it's so obvious, mm-hmm. you know, and... They're so honest about their faults and like her relationship to AA and what that brings to her relationships with the other people in that community and um, just her absolute faith in that and the love that she has for people and just the joy that she brings. I just adored her. Um, And then, of course, Forney. My love for that man is ridiculous. And then um, (laughs) (laughs) the way that Novali finds things in this movie you know she finds or things find her you know sister finds her she finds forney even though she doesn't realize it for years she finds the camera she refines her love of photography when she tells that dream to moses you know he supports her he's like you don't hear me laughing you know about becoming a photographer she finds family you know she finds her own grace she finds her own purpose um and even when sister dies, and it's so sad, but to have changed Novalee's life in that way and to have left such a positive imprint on someone else, it, it, it even mm-hmm. went in my tickle pink section because in the midst of that loss and devastation and destruction, you know, Novalee turns to her art and she finds out what real photography is all about. And you sort of see her shift from that wedding photography to this real you know, artistic moment of capturing that loss. And that's what leads her, you know, to winning that award and really tapping into her talent. And I, I just love that. Um, and then Willie Jack's agent, Ruth Myers, is amazing. <laughs> when she punches him, I just want to cheer. It makes me so happy. That is because Joan Cusack is a national treasure. Yes, she is. <laughs> and she was so good in this. Um and then the moment when Novalee gets back from that award ceremony and she walks in to find Forney asleep on her couch with Americus on his chest and they're both asleep and she takes the photo of them. Like to me, that is love and still life. And it just is the most beautiful moment. And later when she pulls that photo out and she realizes, you know, that she really does love him. It's so well done and it's such a quiet beautiful thing and I adore it and then there's a song playing when she goes to find Forney at the college um, and it's called Beyond the Blue and it's Emmylou Harris and Patty Griffin and they sang it together for this movie and I don't understand why the song does not play for the entire movie it should play for the whole two hours the song is freaking amazing and I love it because they had to have Willie Jack sing in the beat of a heart Ugh, for most of the movie no. this like this song is so freaking good and I absolutely adored it um and then to end on more romantic gushing because I am a sucker 
at the very end, Forney says to her, Novali, there isn't anything better than you. And I'm just, I fall apart every time. I am an absolute and complete wreck. And that line gets me and it is ridiculous. And I fall for it every time I watch this movie. But I love it. Oh, yeah. I just love every it. Every time. Every time. <laughs> I lied to you when you asked me if I loved you. And I said, no. Remember? Yes. I lied for me. It wasn't true. I, I love you. It's just I lied because I thought you deserved something better. Something better than you. Nobly, there isn't anything better than you. I mean, happily ever afters are what I always want in my movies. I am a sucker. I am a hopeless romantic. And I don't care how many formulaic Hallmark romance movies I watch. I'm going to watch every single one of them. And I'm going to sit on the edge of my seat until they get their happily ever after. (laughs) Because that's what I want. I want it in my life, but my life's not a movie, so it's not going to happen. So I want it in the shows that I watch. And even, even the movies that completely break my heart. When they can put it back together again mm-hmm. by the end, I feel like those are the best kind of movies. Yeah, I don't, this normally is not my kind of movie. Like, I don't, I don't watch Hallmark movies. I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't watch like Lifetime romance movies. I don't watch the mm-hmm. Christmas Hallmark Netflix movies. Like, this is not my genre. But there is something about this movie and that line, and it makes me feel so stupid and I don't care I freaking love it and I will (laughs) I will claim it here I think it's beautiful and incredibly well done and Mm -hmm. I just love it so what about you what is in your tickle pink what did you love about this the only other thing that I really wanted to talk about was the found family Mm. that we get in this movie I think you know, at the beginning, you said something about how you didn't find a magical town full of characters who love you like <laughs> she did. And that is something I have always looked for. You know, not a whole town, mm-hmm. obviously. But but found family is is such an intriguing idea to me. It's something that I aspire to. And anybody who's ever listened to me talk on uh, my other show, Pop Culturally Deprived, every time we talk about a movie where there's found family – That's the thing that always gets me. And I'm starting to wonder, is found family a real thing or does it only happen in the movies? Oh, no, it's a real thing. Is it really a real thing? Oh, yeah. (laughs) I have it in my life. I believe in it completely. Okay. I think I I mean, I have found Twitter family. No, it's real. So I guess that counts. Oh, absolutely. um, It counts. Yeah, it counts. I, I definitely don't have this sort of found family physically tangibly in my life and it every time I see it on a screen that is what tugs at my heartstrings and that is what makes me happy even more than the romance most of the time Mm -hmm. and so to see the life that she got to have when she was given nothing she was literally abandoned with nothing except not even the shoes on her feet because she had to go buy shoes in Walmart, you know, and and she was abandoned in this Walmart parking lot pregnant. And so she literally had nothing to her name 
except for this baby that she was getting ready to give birth to. Mm -hmm. And she found a home and a family and a place where she belongs. And that's always, always going to be a win for me when I see that in a movie yeah, or read it in a book or anywhere. (laughs) I cannot imagine like very fewer things scarier than going into labor all alone other than going into labor all alone without a plan for what you'll do after the baby's born. So like, I I just cannot imagine how terrifying that must've been for her. And like, I I just, I can't. And I I had very, very few people with me, but I can't imagine being completely and totally alone. Like that just would have been scary beyond the telling. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. Well, do you have any other thoughts about this movie that we haven't covered yet with our extensive, extensive gushing? So many. (laughs) It's ridiculous. I had a few, but I wasn't sure where to put them because they weren't exactly, bless your hearts, and they weren't exactly gushing. These are just like thoughtful things that I wasn't quite sure where to place. So as much as I dislike Willie Jack and as much as I was rooting for that train, he did get one very important line in this movie. And I think that when he said this to Novalee, it really motivated her to go and tell Forney the truth. Because before, you know, Forney said, do you love me? And she said, no, which did drive me crazy because girl, you don't walk away from love like that. Like, when he says, I love you, do you love me? You say yes. Like, that part drove me crazy. And I understand that she felt like he needed to go on to college and she didn't want him trapped in that small town and she didn't want him working at the factory and she thought he was throwing away her, you know, his choices to be with her. So she lied, but I I just, I hated that part. But the person that ended up setting her on the right path ended up being Willie Jack. And that felt very, you know, trickster universe magic ironic to me. But he said, you know, why does anyone lie? Sometimes you tell a lie so big you change your whole life. And I thought, well, he gets one really good line. And so maybe I'm glad the train didn't actually kill him. Just cut him in half so he could still deliver the line. Um, but it was a really good point, I think, that the movie mm-hmm. made. You know, that sometimes you tell a lie so big. And if, and if it's that kind of a lie... Luckily, Novalee was able to go back and change it, you know, and Forney was still willing to listen to her. But I thought it was it was a really interesting thing that the story brought up. Yeah, I think when I was watching the movie this time, the as the movie diverged kind of into two branches, we get Novalee's life as she's raising Americus, and then we also get to see what Willie Jack has been doing with his life. And I found myself frustrated because I didn't care what Willie Jack was doing. And so I didn't understand why we kept going back to him mm-hmm. until we got to that line at the end. And you understand how their paths diverged and how they got back, how they were brought back together and how Nova Lee needed that closure and also that push to get her to Forney. And it ended up being done kind of elegantly, I think. Yeah, I thought so, too. And one other note I had in this section was actually about Novalee and Willie Jack, that when she was at that hotel to get her award, you know, at the photography event, 
he was also at that hotel playing, you know, the song. And they passed each other in the lobby. And she didn't notice him. And he actually did kind of a back over his shoulder, you know, checking her out from behind. And I was so glad that they did not meet. Like, there was Mm -hmm. that moment. They were actually there. They were in the same place. They passed each other in the lobby. And they were not brought back together. Um, And I was really, really glad that their paths did not cross. You know, that he was not brought back into her life that way. Because I think that that was just, it could have been too much of a coincidence or too much of a cliche. And I was really glad that the writers did not give in to that. And I think it was really well done the way that it was done. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, So my last note was, if this was a fairy tale, and the first time that Forney said, I love you, that Novalise, you know, said, well, I don't love you, and, and sent him on his way. Does that mean that she didn't think she deserved the fairy tale? And is that then her seeing herself as unworthy and then her having to come to terms with being worthy of him? And is that what that struggle was about? You know, was she her own worst enemy and did she have to overcome it? And I don't have an answer for that that I like. So I was curious about your thoughts. I think that when she lied, she lied because she loved him because she didn't see herself as worthy. She thought he had a better life waiting for him if he didn't stay there with her. I think that after she talked to Willie Jack, she came to the realization that her love for him was bigger than that and that his love for her was bigger than that. And so she ended up being able to see herself happy Mm -hmm. when she couldn't before and I I don't really know obviously what her thought process was because they don't show us that on the screen and we have to kind of interpret it as we will but I think I don't think it was a, a matter of her not loving him enough when she let him go it was just understanding that love is maybe different than what she thought it was right no, I, I didn't think it was a matter of her not loving him enough so much as her not being able to claim that. I just wasn't sure if she couldn't claim it because she didn't think she deserved it or because she wanted better for him or if those two things are exactly the same thing. I don't know. I was just yelling at my TV. <laughs> okay. That's fair. Okay. But I understood it. Because, you know, if a man like that said, I love you to me, too, I would be like, "Uh uh-huh, sure. And pass the whiskey because you're drunk, sweetie, and let me drive you home. (laughs) Like, (laughs) but, yeah, I get it. But it was was interesting to me to sort of try to wrap my brain around this movie as a fairy tale because that was the only way I could make any sense of it. Um, And it took a long time. Like, it took days and days and days to process anything out of this. Um, and before I watched this with you for the show, I mean, I had seen this movie several times and always liked it. And if it came on TV, I would have watched it and enjoyed it. And it was just kind of a happy ending sort of movie, but trying to put this personal Southern experience lens on it, man, this was really hard. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But yeah, I'm, I'm really glad 
that you did come up with this framework for it because one, I think it's absolutely accurate. I think this is definitely a Southern fairy tale. Now, I think it can be argued that most romance movies are a fairy tale in some way, but this one kind of, I think, surpassed that because it's so magical, but so realistic all at the same time. Like the way it was woven together was artful Mm -hmm. and beautiful. And you have the fairy godmother and you have the you know, you have all the supporting players and you have the kingdom and you have all the, you know, friends. And I mean, there's just more to it than just boy meets girl. So yeah. I think that's why it felt like an expansion of romance into fairy tale to me. And, and, and you have the very dark elements, right? Most romantic comedies don't have the very dark violence that this movie has. And I think yeah. that the dark violence of fairy tales is often very much overlooked, and it was included in this story. And so I think that that spoke to the fairy tale aspect of it for me too. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So uh, I talked a whole lot. <laughs> I don't think that will be true of most movies, but this one, this one really hit home. But I'm glad we watched it because I've always liked it. Um, And there was a lot that I didn't see until we watched it with this framework. So I'm really Mm -hmm. glad that you watched it with me and let me talk it out because it was a good experience, even though I cried a whole lot (laughs) watching it. So what are we watching next, Mandy? Uh, Well, next up is one of my favorites, Fried Green Tomatoes. Now, I have seen this movie so many times, but not recently and not critically. So this is going to be an interesting experience for me. <laughs> Excellent. So I love this movie and I love this book, but I haven't seen it in years. So it will be very much fun to watch it again for the show. All right. Well, we want to hear from you. If you want to join the conversation on Twitter, use the hashtag SFPOP. Tell us about your experiences growing up in the South or how you felt watching this movie. You can find me on Twitter at Mandy K, or you can email us at podcast at eloquentgushing.com. And you can find me on Twitter at Dr. Kelly Jones at southernfriedscholar.com or on the Southern Fried Scholar podcast or on the Big Strong Yes podcast with Lonnie Diane Rich. Because Kelly is everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) And Southern Fried Pop Culture is funded by supporters like you through our Patreon page. For exclusive content and more, please visit us at patreon.com slash eloquentgushing. And thanks to Jazzy Bentley for our amazing show music. And thanks, y'all, for joining us. Bye. Bye. You want to hear just what I think, but I don't walk around to go big. I've got a lot to say about today's modern art. There's stories and there's Pop Culture is an Eloquent Gushing production. For more information, please visit eloquentgushing.com or visit us on Twitter at Eloquent Gushing.